This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together for The stories of hip-hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better. And ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. My name is Jason Perez, born and raised north side of Chicago, and I am a community organizer for SEIU, Local 73, and also I'm in a rap group called uh, BBU, Bin Laden Blowing Up, or Black, Brown, and Ugly. I picked Tupac, Keep Your Head Up, mainly because, well, it's a great song. It's probably one of the first songs that brought me to the level of consciousness that I have today and like why I care about movement building, why I care about social, racial, and economic justice as I do, and why I care about like women's rights um, as much as I do. And also had, had a huge impact on me raising my own daughter. For Tupac, for Keep Your Head Up, it was, that, that's a lot more of like a heartbeat kind of thing, you know, like I guess like that's the best way you can describe it. So like Tupac was, it was like the heartbeat and kind of like the consciousness of, of who I became. I mean, in terms of like when I heard it and like when it hit home to me and I just remember, you know, all I thought of was, was my mom, you know, like all I thought of was, was my mom's struggle and what she went through and what she had to go through. And I, and I remember it. Finally, because of Tupac getting the understanding that my mom went through the things that she went through because she was a woman, you know, that like men didn't have to go through that. You know what I mean? That like men, when it came to raising children, that you could just leave, you know, like society kind of let you leave. They would, you know, wag their finger at you and say, you're not good for doing that. But you could basically just leave and go. And a woman was just stuck there trying to having to figure it all out, you know, and that's like that's that's the story of my mom. You know, I was there and she had to figure it all out. You know, she had to figure out how to pay the bills, how to feed me, how to make sure that we had a roof over our head, how to make sure that she could still go to school and also go to work and find a daycare that, you know, allowed me to be at that daycare till eight o'clock at night, you know. And I think Tupac was the first and to me, really, the the only rapper Outside of when I heard T. Roy, Troy, but like you know, by Pete Rock and uh, and and Seal Smooth, that like really spoke to that, and like the development of like a child and a kid, when when you're trying to figure all that out, you know. So Tupac had the impact on that level, and then Tupac was like what, and like I've said this before, you know, like Tupac was like to me like hip hop's Malcolm X, like he was the one who gave me a complex black image to understand. He wasn't like this easy like black man you can pin down, you know? Cause like 
one second and he's talking about like shooting at cops the next second he's like holla if you hear me like we got to get stuff together the next second he's telling like women like keep your head up like i understand what you're going through i get it you know next second he's like talking about brenda has a baby you know the next second he's like talking about like how like he still does like things like really feminine at times and like learn how to sew and clean because he grew up by with, with his mom and he was raised by his mom so that's how why he's like that you know so i mean tupac was just never like it was just so volatile and like you know some people can, can push it off as being bipolar or whatever but it was so volatile i could relate to that you know because like you know like not every day did i want to wake up and knock somebody out you know what i mean at times i wanted to cry and just be by myself or at times like i wanted to like only care about my race and what's going on with that and at times like everything around the world seemed really fucked up to me you know and like tupac oh, yeah. spoke to that like he was never like just this like one dimensional figure of what being a black man was supposed to be but at the same time I felt like he always had a message of you can't ex escape your race and there's no point in trying to escape your race. Your race isn't a bad thing. It's like what people do to you, to your race is what, what makes you feel bad about it. You know, Tupac was like that first figure where I understood in many ways, like you start understanding like, oh, this is not my fault. You know, that like, you know, I, I go to these schools and I get treated this way. It's not because of like who I am as a human being, you know, like it's it is racialized like it's a whole race of people are being treated this way you know like there's a reason why like my, my dad is gone you know i mean there's a reason why all my friends end up selling drugs at around like 12 13 and 14 you know like there's a reason why like, all the other white kids they end up consuming drugs and doing drugs in whatever way and like maybe like there's a reason why you know one group of my friends they die or get killed or get beat up terms of drive-bys or whatever and then there's a whole other group of kids who like do have overdoses and have and and do suicides and things like that you know and tupac even though tupac's music at times didn't speak to that it put that in context so that i could start having that understanding within the world but on a on a larger level keep your head up was i think keep your head up is like why you know why black women matter to me and like why i have to raise my daughter as i have to raise my daughter i think i would have no I would have no context of feminism. I would have no context of being an ally to women and what that means if it wasn't for keep your head up, you know? But when I heard this line, like, I gave a holler to my sisters on welfare, Tupac cares, if don't nobody else care. That was just like, whoa. You know, in the early 90s, was definitely a time of when like people on welfare were wrong they were fundamentally like kind of like bad human beings and at least the gospel for me growing up still in a family of color in a puerto rican family was that you did not and this is either whether it was like black folks encountering or or latino folks encountering was that that welfare was was part of the trap and that you didn't want to be in that trap and the people who were part of that trap were allowing themselves to be susceptible to that trap. In many ways, it was likened to that you really didn't care about upliftment of the community. It was very much like a middle-class Latino or black mindset of like, you didn't care as much about the community because you're allowing the government to sabotage the community then via welfare, you know? So when I heard that, like, I give a holler to my sisters on welfare, Tupac cares that don't nobody else care. I was like, damn, that was just like, and it's like, it's so simple too, right? It's like, it's such an anti, it's such an anti-establishment, anti-status quo message that in an anti-classist message 
but it's put in like such simple words it was very it was very personal it was very much like this is where i come from this is my context and then this is how i feel to like my sisters going through what they're going through and like that kind of writing like always like stands out to me and like at the time i think being as young as i was it did stand out to me because i could relate to that i, I couldn't understand all the politics around this stuff but like just the message in it of itself was like whoa like that mattered to me and in this part too in terms of like responsibility as a male and uh, i know they like to beat you down a lot when you come around the block brothers clown a lot but please don't cry dry your eyes never let up forgive but don't forget girl keep your head up and when he tells you you ain't nothing don't believe and if you can't learn to love you should leave because sister you don't need and i ain't trying to cash up i just call them how i see you know what makes me young that's that when brothers make babies and leave a young mother to be a passion and since we all came from a woman got our name from a woman and i came from a I wonder why we take from my women while we rape our women do we hate our I think it's time to kill for our women, time to heal our women, be real to our women. And if we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the ladies that make the babies. And since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, ladies, but keep your head up. Like, what? I still, even like to this day, like when I'm explaining like kind of like the logic of sexism or that even like sexism is real or that like, or that feminism matters or like, because a lot of times it's like, nah, like women don't really have it that bad, you know? And it's just like, I mean, it literally comes from like Pac, you know what I mean? It's literally like, no, our society rapes women, you know, like in, in our society, men rape women. Like I'm not afraid when I go to an alley, a woman is afraid when she goes down an alley. And like, and Pac was the one who brought that to me. Like that was not, that was not from a book. That understanding I got from Pac that like that when it comes to sexual violence that it works along lines of gender you know what I mean and, it, and it's a man forcing his will on a woman you know and that's how it works in society and it made me understand that like you know when I'm hearing all this music with like bitches and hoes all that made me understand that this is a society that like always trying to put the blame on a woman like any sort of societal ill or whatever it's like it's a, you know like for a woman it's damned if you do damned if you don't and then there was like this this dude like this like this young rapper who's being like why do we do this in our society like why do we hate our women why do we rape our women why do we say this and that to them you know why since if they do have a baby and then all of a sudden we punish them for almost literally having a baby and saying this is your fault and like wagged your finger at them we do that on top of all the other BS that we put them through, you know? And I, I don't know, I, for me personally, I've never heard another rapper do that. You know, like, I mean, you take your most conscious rapper to this day, I still have not heard them so simply put the context of like, of kind of like sexism 101 and how men are supposed to take responsibility because he's not even just like, he's not just saying like, okay, we do all this other stuff and this and the other thing. Then he's like, you know, like you have to take responsibility. You know, it's like time to heal our woman, be real to our woman. I think it's time to kill for our woman. And if we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the ladies that make the babies. And that was just like, that was like mind blowing to me, you know, like that that's what we're doing right now that like you get a bunch of like, you get me or and you get a bunch of men and you get a bunch of folks and you get a bunch of even women too who then hate the very people that are raising them you know like the women in their lives that are raising them and have this resentment towards them that's first of all misplaced and is and is very tragic and is very harmful to a society and and to a and to a people and kind of like Alice in Wonderland you know like Tupac always made sure that I understood the upside down world that I understood that people who do really really egregious crimes on top don't get punished and people who do petty crimes and like petty things because they're in the circumstances that they're in get severely punished you know like i understood that because of tupac you know and i got that context because of him 
Tupac is definitely like me coming of age, you know, like, I mean, Tupac is like more so like 12 to like 17, right? And and that's also the time like when I was, I was starting to get, I, I got in a lot more trouble at school, a lot more fights, I was getting, not getting locked up per se, but getting arrested a lot. At the same time, I was, I was in black and Latino neighborhoods and communities and also white neighborhoods and communities. So, so I was also able to see like the difference in like punishments that like happened. Literally, my first case that I ever had was was for robbery, you know? It was with two other white kids, and, like, the two other white kids literally got off, and I was one who got, who got probation, you know? And part of that is it, just, like, my family and their raising, you know? They were just like, we're not going to pay for like, We can't pay for a lawyer. Like, what are you talking about? Like, there's just no way you can pay for a lawyer. Like, what are you talking about? And they, of course, had a lawyer, you know? Like, and I had a public defender. You know, and my parents were like, did you do it? And I was like, well, yeah. And they're like, well... You know, you got to figure that out. I started understanding, like, I'm like, man, like, things are different. You know, like, things are really, really different. I mean, these kids had, like, lawyers, you know, like, at their at their court cases. And, and even though at that time I was still, like, living in a white neighborhood, I, I definitely saw that, like, because at the time in juvenile court, like, you sat on separate sides. If you had a lawyer, you sat on a separate side, which was basically, like, the white side. <laughs> like, kids had lawyers. And then if you had a public defender, you had to sit with the other people who had public defenders, which turned out, which would, like, be the people of color side, you know? And, like, the public defender was the one who had, I mean, I kid you not, like, they walked with these, these, like, file pullers, you know? Like, and it was, like, two big things of files. And that's who they are. And a lawyer just normally just, they just have their briefcase and whatever case they're working on. And you just, you just saw, like, you saw the difference and you saw the contrast. And I remember I, I couldn't figure it all out. I mean, like, a lot of this, like, understanding came, like, came later, you know. But I just remember being, like, extremely frustrated with the process. And, like, and someone who was always frustrated with how everything was was Tupac, you know. <laughs> like, he was just, and he had that anger and he, and he could challenge it the right way. At least to me, like, it spoke to me the right way. I ain't Fuck got it. no motherfuckers. So I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. Take money. Tupac was deep, but like my whole, you know, affection for Tupac wasn't just because he was deep. I mean, Tupac was like, he was the he was the king of everything non-East Coast, you know, like he was he was the one who was going to hold the hip hop status quo accountable. You know, like the Biggie's, the Mob Deeps, the everyone who said that hip hop is supposed to sound like this, like Tupac was the guy who was like, no. And Tupac's message was just so clear and it was so on point and it was just so like... Like it hit you all the time, whatever it was talking about, whether it was like, like whether it was talking about like fucking a million girls or, or talking about something for the cause, like you understood that message and it was like, it was loud and clear. I don't know. It was just at that time for me, you know, it was like, it was a lot of, you know, especially in my teenage years, it was a lot of getting high. It was a lot of attempting to sell drugs, but failing at doing that. And uh, cause I usually smoked most of the drugs and like walking towards dropping out of school, you know, and Tupac was certainly that soundtrack that kind of. Even though as it was happening, I felt bad about it. And I didn't feel good about it. It was kind of like it was that soundtrack that made me feel that that all hope is lost, you know, and that if anything, this is in some ways by design, but that I'm not stupid. I'm not and I'm not wrong for what I'm doing. You know, Tupac had like just like these layers of, of understanding and kind of like this, like more of an upliftment, 
kind of like church kind of feel to him. Hey, hey, Dad. Yeah, it's your boy. <laughs> Remember me? I want to talk to you, Scrap. I remember being kicked out the house cause I look just like you Said I'd be nothing but a crook, just like you The niggas in the hood was shook, but they just like you Cause all they said was little whitey, look, I'm just like you But dog, I can't see it at all But I think the the context of like why hip-hop like really, really mattered to me And then like why Tupac and then later on Outkast, of course, was Was particularly because like I didn't Why like keep your head up matters is because you know I didn't have my father growing up you know like my father was just it was gone like he was you know basically the only story that I got from my mom on it was kind of like the typical black male gone bad abandoning his kid you know like my dad you know he supposedly graduated from UFC was really smart came from Washington D.C. and then he ended up kind of like throwing his life away ended up continuing to sell drugs. And my mom had to leave him. The last that she heard was that like he had like a weapons charge and a drug trafficking charge, and that he was in prison. And there was just no space to reconcile that at all, like within my own life, outside of hip hop. Like hip hop was kind of like the only cultural space musically where that was even recognized. The narrative was spoken to that black people, black men, sold drugs, and that was what they did. They were either in movies, entertainers. Or they sold drugs, and so at the so at the time as you know, like as I started actually getting locked up more and more, and then like violating probation, I eventually started going to group homes. I got sent up to like Hami Home for for boys, which is a uh, which is a group home up in like Wittenberg, Wisconsin, like town of two thousand, and you know it was like farm country. You know, it was literally like just like this house of like all men of color. I think there was like one kid from Lansing the kid from Appleton, Wisconsin, and that's it. And the rest is like kids from either Minneapolis, Milwaukee, or Chicago, you know? And and then that's when hip-hop became like even more like, like hip-hop was important then. I mean, like hip-hop became like extremely important, you know? And like, you know, like whenever, I think the magazines were, it was the magazines were the source and it was rap pages. Those were like, those are like kind of like our Bibles, you know? And like we lived by those magazines. And so I was just, you know, it was just a lot of just listening to hip-hop, like, you know, like in, kind of like getting my consciousness from that and then that was around the time when when finally Kwame and I did come out yeah it was just kind of like well it was definitely it was definitely uh you know Kwame and I was definitely mind-blowing to me and then I picked Outkast Rosa Parks basically because it is probably one of the best hip-hop songs as far as songs goes in terms of like pushing the boundaries of what hip-hop can do and how it can sound and also still be like really lyrical and really relevant and i mean the name of the song is rosa parks in and of itself and it, there's also like a wit to it and just playing on like on what rosa parks was about in terms of like uh in terms of her struggles and i just really like witty smart lyrical music but then that also sounds really really good which is you know like the live church band that plays in it the kind of breakdown like the the kind of the church breakdown that happens at the end of the song all those things are just to me makes it a wonderful wonderful song eventually like all all that stuff like led me to being like to being locked up being incarcerated and it was still you know hip-hop was still like very much in like in a dark place for me in terms of like i mean the music itself was like sonically dark sounding and it was depressing and like gaudy and just kind of like in your face and didn't necessarily give me a direction i think the only song that gave me a direction or like something that was wrong was particularly like right before i got locked up like the song was playing in my head all the time was my mind playing tricks on me you know and like i would literally hear like the do 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 like in my head day by day is more impossible to cope 
I feel like I'm the one that's doing dope. Can't keep a steady hand because I'm nervous. Every Sunday morning I'm in And also cream too. So like that was like when beforehand a lot of my friends had talked about Wu Tang, but I just get into into Wu Tang. But then I started listening to Wu Tang more and Wu Tang they had like either two different types of songs. They had like really aggressive like posse cuts or they had like songs that didn't necessarily glorify selling drugs. It was very much like I'm depressed, this shit sucks, but I have to sell drugs. You know, it's just like I have to go to work country song, you know, but it was like about like selling drugs, you know, and like I don't really want to do that. You know, like that's like what what Cream like represented to me, you know. I'm locked up and I think that was the time when being locked up just impacted me on a level because there was so many black people in particular. I mean, it was black and Latino people, but it was just so many black people in particular that were just were locked up and we were just in jail. And I think what threw me off the most was because, you know, I, I had the experience of living in a white neighborhood also. You know, I, I had experience living in a white neighborhood, a black neighborhood, a Latino neighborhood and seeing all those differences. And I just I think that's for me when it finally clicked. You know, the stuff like when I was 14, 15, like first getting probation and like me being the one locked up and the other two white kids not being locked up. I think that's for me when it finally clicked that kind of like, you know, when Tupac has that line, like the war on drugs is a war on us, you know, like that there's in society, there's a group of kids who do drugs and they don't get locked up. And then there's people who do and sell drugs and they do get locked up. It was so weird because like at that time, like what mattered to me was like getting high. You know, like, I mean, that those, those are the things that mattered to me at the time. And I was like definitely like a, a full addict at that time. And I hadn't been in recovery yet. And I think just seeing that in jail, I think, you know, I think for me, more than even outcasts, I think mean, like Tupac started speaking to me more in terms of that, like that there's real differences in society and they have to be taken seriously and they're just not circumstance. And that, and that like, I'm not here just because like I have a bad drug addiction, you know, like I'm here for other reasons too. And so I think upon coming out, like it was still like Tupac's greatest hits was like on repeat. I know that for sure. <laughs> and I remember looking forward, really forward to Stankonia coming out, you know. Part of me did definitely did want to do hip hop, but I think a bigger part of me was just that I needed to be part of the solution, you know, that kind of like my salvation and my ability to grow as a person and as a and as a black Puerto Rican male was it was it was incumbent on me to give back to my community as as I was however as I could, you know. And I think it was more of a time when I was I lived by the message and the motivation that hip hop gave me in terms of just doing being able to do my basic things that you know, like I don't. There's no way I could see myself waking up at four fifteen to go stand in a corner for day labor. Like hip hop gave me a definite feeling of I refuse to be a statistic. You know, I'm not gonna be that another number on a chalkboard for the government, for corporations, like for white America. Like I just refuse to let that happen to me. And hip hop was like that, that fuel. And then I think as I got more and more into activism, I got introduced to like books like No More Prisons, which was basically like, why are all your friends in jail? Like, you know, why did you drop out? Like, why are all your friends dropping out? And this and the other thing. And I think hip hop was what led me and particularly Tupac. And in some levels outcast, but you know, outcast was much more of a musical influence. Tupac in terms of the life I live now was what led me to want to try to find out the truth more and like know things and like had the analysis that Tupac had and it continued to push and push and push me and 
the difficulty of trying to find my first job after I had a felony. You know, like the one thing I always had was my walk. I literally had to buy like a $10 Walkman. And then I went to like a used CD store, but they had tapes and the tapes were way cheaper. I had to buy like a bunch of hip hop tape. I had very little money. So, but the two things I had to get, like that was like my focus, you know, like that was part of the reason why I was like waking up going to day labor because I had to get those things. And that if I didn't have like the music to listen to while I was on the bus, so I was on the train, then like I couldn't keep on doing what I needed to do. And so I think all that music kept on informing my journey until like I got to being a youth organizer, like starting to do Bate Urbano, which is like, like a Puerto Rican like hip hop poetry cultural space that like we set up and that was totally like do it yourself DIY. And then I think eventually, you know, hip hop got me into other music in terms of like even like Ani DeFranco, in terms of like the Sex Pistols. It made me pay attention to more so music that was that was made out of rebellion and that was made like out of like resistance and to look at music in that way. That but I think on an on another end and like what Tupac helped me with was and I think Outcast in some ways too was that Hip-hop in and of itself wasn't a movement, like it wasn't a social movement, you know, because like a lot of times like the circles I was starting to go around, they were very much like hip-hop was the point, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I was kind of like, no, like, you know, I think some of the messages in hip-hop is the point to like point you where you're supposed to go, you know, and, like, and I was definitely of the idea that of like what Pac was kind of saying that like, you know, hip-hop has a message sometimes that's very good and that message should inspire you to do like greater and better things, you know, not just to make more hip-hop. And so I think for me in many ways like as it came to me like trying to reconcile me doing like a lot of activism a lot of community organizing a lot of work with young folks of color because at that point and particularly that line and keep your head up you know like make a race of babies who hate the ladies you know and like it was the idea that that the only way you kind of like you, you change the path of a race change the path of people is like you work with young people themselves you know and and so i was uh, and I, that's why i became a youth organizer that's why i did bought Bono. that's why i wanted to work with teenage kids you know because like i felt like that's like the best way to have the most direct impact and in terms of my own life experiences that was the way i could give back the best and i was still young enough at the time so that i could relate to those teenagers and i was just coming out of recovery i just you know got done selling drugs i, I knew what they were talking about it wasn't like i was like just like some like like some dude who was just there to like kind of lend a hand, like had no context to them. But yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, I think for me, like, yeah, Tupac basically spoke to me as that like hip hop wasn't, to me, I was of the idea hip hop wasn't a social movement in and of itself. That, you know, movements that, that even Pac himself didn't come out of quote unquote hip hop a social movement. He came out of a real black working class movement, you know, called the Black Panthers and called like the Civil Rights Movement. And that's like his, his context and stuff. Reconciling doing music versus activism. And I think, so then as I started, like, at times tinkering with the idea of doing music, you know, I felt like, you know, there was a big part of me for a while who felt like, you know, doing music would be a betrayal of the movement, you know, because that, like, we had, community had enough singers and enough rappers and enough everything, you know, like, what our community needed was more and more organizers, more and more institution builders, more and more people in the community actually making change. You know, like you needed more Fred Hamptons, more Huey P. Noons, more Bobby Seals, you know, more Angela Davises, more Ella Bakers, not more Tupacs or Biggies or like Andres and Big Boys. And, you know, like it had enough of those. And there was people who were willing to pay those people millions of dollars to be those things, you know, but there was no one, there was a total lack of 
of folks within the community actually helping build the community. And I think as I came into BBU, I think, you know, BBU came out at a, at a time when I literally just got burnt out on the movement, you know, like I think it was, you know, I've been sober for a few years by that, I think for six and seven years. I have been a youth organizer in Uptown, the Multicultural Youth Project. I've been working for SEIU. I just came out of, it's actually more so four years ago to this time now, you know, we were running an automatic race against Howard Brookins, who was very much like this corporatist Democrat who wanted to bring Walmart into a black community. We ran a, a really tough automatic race. We kind of lost right at the end when like Daily poured a bunch of money into that race for the runoff. And, you know, I got lived out of that campaign office. And this was like the second job again, where I kind of like lived that job, you know, like it was like 12 hours a day or something, you know, like just like doing that thing and that. And, you know, my only salvation was at that point, like my only salvation was like going to the club and I couldn't even go to spoken word things at that time anymore because it was just spoken word thing like meant nothing to me and it infuriated me so much because I felt like it was like so much talk and not enough walk, you know, and it was just so much like non-practice. It was like a bunch of poems about like, you know, black folks or brown folks complaining about how our people never do this or they're not never revolutionary about this. But then like I never saw those same people knocking on doors or like at an after school program or any of those things and like that really frustrated me and I felt like at least if I went to a club like it was a bunch of people who were like like regular as like non-conscious like black folks or Latino folks and they weren't trying to perpetrate like they're doing it for the cause or nothing like that and you could just be with them and like it wasn't like this like one upping of that and they weren't kind of preaching that gospel which I didn't mind and I think at that time that's when I started really getting into more so music that necessarily didn't have a message, you know, but like just talked about one's life. You know, I think that's like when I started accepting Jay-Z for what Jay-Z was that in many ways why I felt I cared about, you know, it's, it's hard to say this, but like why I took Jay-Z's message more seriously than Nas's message at times, you know what I mean? Like that's when I took it seriously because you know, like someone like Jay-Z was always just like, I'm capitalist, you know, like, like, like I'm this person and this is what I'm going to do. And I feel like giving money away for like kids at Columbine or like giving, you know, stuff to 9-11 victims. I feel like that's, that's how I feel is good. You know, I feel like philanthropy is good and gets to the solution and I'm doing my part. Like my best way of doing my best part is making sure Rockefeller is an awesome big business. Right. You know, and at a certain point, if you're successful at it, like how can you knock that? Right. Like how can you knock that? And then especially when you have like Nas on the other end who like, you know, is talking like all this God body, like back to Africa stuff. Hello? What's up, girl? Ain't nothing. This nigga ain't here stressing, talking that old off-the-wall, back-to-Africa shit again. What, that guy body shit? Yeah, that dumb shit. I'm trying to get up out of here. I hear that. But yo, you know the spot is pumping tonight. Word? For real, where? You know, where the real niggas is popping the crystal. <laughs> Not that white star. <laughs> and like doesn't have a focus on it but like you know he's trying you know but then like he never builds like the institutions he never builds the rockefeller he never builds like the alternative solution to that or even like dead prez you know like who they never they never like become or even like most and quad like you know like they just never 
they never actualize the things that they write about. But like you have someone like Jay-Z who like he actually actualizes what he writes about. Like he makes it like real. You know what I mean? Like he's just like, you know, like one million, two million, three million, four. One million, two million, three million, four. In just five years, 40 million more. You are now looking at the 40 million boy. I'm raping Def Jam till I'm the 100 million man. R-O-C. I'm like Jay Z, like he like he made it real, you know, and it was just like, like that was powerful to me. Like a doer was powerful, more powerful to me, and meant more to me than than these other like so-called conscious dudes who just I felt like weren't making it real, you know, like they just weren't. It wasn't actually happening, and and so I think at the time when I was going to clubs all the time, I think that's like why I just felt like it, it was a space that had more honesty to me and like and less dissonance in terms of like identity and who I wanted to be. And then at that time, I also met like Rich and like Rich was a big deal, which is like my other friend in, in BBU. And Rich was a big deal because like, you know, we, we were both we, we were both like trying to change our lives from what it was. You know, we had both been locked up. We were both trying to recover. And I think that was like the first you know, for me, that was like the first black male that I met who was also on that same path and had come from similar backgrounds. Growing up in like living in the black neighborhoods and also like white working class neighborhoods, like had to deal with like being locked up at an early age, had to deal with b being in addiction, had to deal with quote people telling you you're really smart, but then not living up to your potential. Like just had to like really d deal with like very similar things in terms of like because like we weren't necessarily like the classic grew up in the projects like black kids, but we weren't also like. We certainly never, got, I mean, we never got accepted by like, you know, kind of like the middle class bourgeoisie black conscious folks. I think for me and Rich at the time, we're just like, yeah, we are from Chicago. You know, we're born and raised from Chicago. Like, Chicago is double-time rap. You know, Chicago is uh, twisted. Chicago is do or die. Chicago is crucial conflict. You know, and then but then also at the same time, Chicago is Common. Chicago is Lupe. Chicago is Kanye. And even all those dudes, you know, Common being the least of them, you know, but Lupe and even Kanye, even when they did their sometimes conscious raps, they still were talking about their life. Even Resurrection... Resurrection is not like a quality or most deaf album, you know, it's a slice of life album. It's a talking about his life, it's talking about growing up. It's definitely not like, it's not conscious first, it's conscious second, you know? And to us, that's like what being Chicago is about. And then that's like why then we're just kind of like, if we wanted to make music, we're going to have to do it in that way. You know, like we, we couldn't, we didn't want to be Dead Prez or do what Dead Prez was about. So then, yeah, we, we met up and then I finally met up with Mike and then also Omar and luckily we had a really dope space called q4 which is this diy space this do-it-yourself space that was like ran by like a bunch of uh, folks of color over on humble park and you know they had an open mic every two weeks and it was very much it was pretty organic it was just like let's just write some songs and it was like whatever beats we could get we'd write them and then like we'd spit our verses and somehow people really liked them and it was something that didn't start that serious in terms of like you know the name bin laden blowing up it was just like you know it was a play on the three six mafia song bin laden and then like throwing blowing up on there and we thought it was kind of in your face it was anti-authoritarian it was kind of punk sounding and we wanted stuff like that because we felt like conscious music had just become way too safe also like it was just and that's like you know bin laden blowing up like we wanted a name like that we wanted a name that was just like very aggressive and then we started you know we started making music and i think you know in the beginning we there was a lot of back and forth in terms of what we want to do and how we want to do it and there was like you know i think at a, at a certain point there was like you know Mike and Rich on one end who were definitely more of like wanted more like 
like traditional like hip hop kind of stuff and then me and Omar on the other end which was pulling more towards like a different sonic thing but eventually I think it was those battles that, of ideas and I think we started trusting that battle of ideas to make music that kind of hit on all different levels you know and I think the only real group that we had to look to who also did that and have it make sense for them was Outkast so I gotta grab my Return of the gangster, gangster. Them niggas that sound that blow, that run up in your crib, which contains your lady and an eight-month-old child. Raised plus you, true blue by this music, but they do not wanna hear because they'd rather be bouncing and shooting and killing than bouncing and shit. Get down. Return of the gangster, gangster. Them niggas that think y'all soft and say y'all be gospel rapping, but they be steady clapping when you talk about bitches and switches and hoes and clothes and weed. Let's talk about time traveling, rhyme javelin, something mind unraveling. Get down. Return. Yeah, I think Outkast was. At least for me, you know, like they're the first ones I heard doing it, and they weren't like it wasn't. You know, I think beforehand you had, so I, I you know, I listened to like De La Soul, I listened to Tribe Called Quest and Farside, and they definitely had a quote unquote like alternative sound, you know, and a kind of like a, a left field sound, but Outkast was the one who like, I felt like it still sounded like, it didn't sound too arty, it didn't sound too pretentious, still sounded like gangster, still sounded crunk. And also they were saying a lot with their lyrics, you know, and and none of their lyrics was like, look how dope I am and look how like dumb you are for like doing gangster rap kind of lyrics either, you know, which I find they came out of a lot of those camps also. So and then just the idea of for Outkast, it seemed like whenever you listen to an Outkast album, it, it mattered what you were doing lyrically, but it also mattered what you're doing sound wise, you know, but then still having the message in terms of like black empowerment, in terms of Afrocentricity, in terms of looking at what's going on in your community and being part of the solution instead of the problems. I think even on that, not in that song in particular, but in that album, you know, Andre has on the song Equemini, he has a song where, well, every is every nigga with dreads for the cause and every nigga with gold for the falls. He's like, no, don't get caught up in, in appearance, you know? And so like, I felt like that kind of represents even like BBU to, to a further extent is the idea that, that there's very much a specific aesthetic and a certain way of being if you were conscious, you know? And then there's a certain aesthetic and a way of being if you're like making trap music or like gangster rap music or like music for the quote unquote for the hood. And Outkast wasn't caught up in that. And like, it, not even so much they weren't caught up in it. It's like, not like they were going to ignore it. They were just like, Outcast is very much so like we're both, you know, like like we have folks who are from the hood and we have folks who are like who who aren't from the hood or like from from the middle class, you know, and like we want our music to be both of that. And for BBU, like we definitely wanted it to represent all our experiences and also within that then it, it it represents the black experience and also the latino experience and like folks of color period and then and to a larger level i think even like experiences for folks who, who are white or or whatever else you know because i think a lot of times especially for the music industry they want to pigeonhole music so that it's this one thing right like and you even see that in like in, in rock music too you know like this is hair metal or like this is like you know this is alt country or this is whatever you know and for for hip-hop they try to do the same thing and i felt like outcast was a group who was like you know they're a group where like i'm we're gonna put out a double album and like you know big boy's gonna do one side and andre's gonna do another side just basically singing like you know record company figured out you know like and, that, and that's and that's an awesome message and i know for bbu we always wanted to go into that direction because we felt that like what makes music revolutionary, what what's makes music transgressive, what makes music like move along the margins and push those margins out is music that not only lyrically challenges folks, but sonically challenges folks, and also just like style and aesthetic wise challenges folks. Hey, 
the type of people. And I know for me, and I think for a lot of us, you know, in BBU, I think we do view hip hop at that time. We view hip hop as, you know, being oversaturated, having so much stuff that that you can have a pretty successful underground like stadium status career and maybe not the mainstream notice it but then maybe 10 years start noticing it and paying attention to it and still have the space to do it because you know bbu could not exist 10 years ago because i mean first of all the internet wasn't where it was at and the record companies just really dictated what got hurt and what didn't get hurt you know so we look at it as a unique opportunity and but our philosophy on bbu is you know i mean it sounds corny like putting the party back into politics or whatever but it's it's definitely being like that we want it to be movement music in the sense of like in terms of lifestyle music like what jay-z was for if you, if, you know if you're a black male or if you're like a businessman or whatever like jay-z is probably the best music to ever listen to you know because i mean he just hits it so on the head all the time you know and like we want to be that kind of music for like the person who's like i'm gonna knock these 15 doors or like i'm gonna like go out and like have a good time and like but still like care about what's going on in my hood hip-hop matters to me i mean first of all because you know like i'm a you know I'm a, I'm a black puerto rican like heterosexual male you know and and hip-hop affirmed me first and foremost you know like it, it gave me that space for affirmation it allowed me to have a voice you know it told me that i mattered you know like my logic in terms of even how i understand oppression or how i you know how i read a book hip-hop as you know, as like the civil rights movement died and black power movement died or whatever, like hip hop for me was like, was my source of cultural pride in the middle of like surviving Reaganomics and surviving Clinton, you know, like where like prisons populations doubled and like all the things that happened. And hip hop was the way that I could kind of breathe in my blackness, breathe in being a person of color and know that it was okay and that it was worth something and that it really, really mattered, you know? And it's what brought me to consciousness, you know? Like I didn't mean, no other music could I really, I mean, I like punk music. I like even like folk music and stuff, but like it could not have brought me to the consciousness that I have today and like the political understandings that I have today and even like the cultural pride that I have today. And I would not raise my daughter if it wasn't for hip hop, you know, like that's real. I would not be the father that I am to Nisa if, if, if it wasn't for hip hop, if, if it wasn't for like, if, if it wasn't for T-Roy, you know, like if it wasn't for Keep Your Head Up, like I would not be a community organizer would not work for the union as i do today if it wasn't for hip-hop I, I do feel like if it wasn't for hip-hop at some level no if it wasn't for hip-hop and like that music i would have been back in jail i mean that's was the motivation that was the driving force you know like that's the music of my time you know like that's the music that's like the cultural driver of my time in terms of like there's very few things i feel like you know you know hip-hop was the thing that strained out your spine and told you that like you're gonna make it or you have to make it or like you can't let them win you know you can't let the system win you know yeah. 